following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, next week we start the season of Lent leading up to Easter and we're going to start a series reflecting on the cross of Jesus, the significance of Jesus' death, which will carry us right up to Easter time. Uh, but for today, I want to take just one morning and talk a bit about who we are as a church, our identity, our purpose, and where we're going as a church. You know, we're 15 years old this year. Sure, 15 years. Yeah, officially launched uh, April 1998 at Christen School, just next door. So in one sense, we haven't come far. Uh, we're just here. But... Um, and some of you have been here from the beginning. There's a few people that have been, and even before the beginning, when there was a, there was a core group, there was a little team that was meeting even before we officially launched at Christen School. And uh, there are people here that have journeyed right through the 15 years with us. And then there's others of you that are, this is your first Sunday. Or you've been here two times, three times, and it's just beginning for you, this whole journey. And that's cool. And it's exciting. We're all here together. We're thrown together in this community. We've come from different walks and different paths and different backgrounds, church backgrounds or non-church backgrounds, and we're all trying to figure out what it means to be a church together. So I want to talk about who we are and our purpose as a church. Uh, a few years ago, I had two really similar conversations with other pastors and church leaders in the, in the space of about a week. There's one guy I caught up with, and we were talking about various things, and he was reflecting on some of the challenges in his church, and he said, you know, the thing that we're really struggling with at the moment is how we can break the 400 barrier. Uh, we just don't know how to get over the 400 barrier. And, you know, of course, he's talking about numbers in the church, church attendance. How, how, how do you break the 400 barrier? And they were just short of 400, and they just didn't know. They didn't have a strategy for getting past 400. And then later in the same week, I had another conversation with another church leader who made the same comment with the same kind of language. How, we were just trying to, in our church, we're, we're, we're perplexed by this problem of how do we break the 300 or whatever. I can't remember what their number was, but how do we break the 300 barrier? And I came away, honestly, from those conversations just feeling a bit unsettled. I was feeling a bit like, is this really what church is? It's like there's this invisible wall of numbers here, and we've got to, we've got to break it. We've got to somehow get over it or push through it. And there's a whole theory of church growth around this. You can go to conferences for churches trying to break the 500 barrier or the 700 barrier or whatever it is. The theory is there's these particular number brackets, and off you go. And it was really consuming these people. Even late last year, I had another conversation, the same conversation, with a woman who's a leader in her church and a significant leader in her denomination. And she said, you know, we're wrestling at the moment with how do we break the 250 barrier? That's the big challenge. And again, I came away with this sense of disquiet. Uh, is that really the purpose of the church? Is that really what we're all about? I had another conversation with a guy a few years ago who he and his wife had just come back from the UK and he was telling me about their church there and raving about how great it was. And he said, you know, the thing with this church is their whole philosophy is that they want to be the coolest church around so nobody wants to leave. And it would lit I've remembered his words, literally. We want to be the coolest church around so nobody wants to leave. And I had that same feeling of disquiet after that conversation that I'd had after these other conversations about breaking the numbers barrier. And I've been thinking about this stuff a lot in terms of who we are as a church and what our focus is and what our priority is and really what it even means to be a church. I've had those conversations in my mind recently. And it seems to me that 
when people think about church, they think about what it means to be a church, we often have an image in our mind. We think in images, we think in metaphors so much, and we tend to bring certain images of the church into play, and then they govern how we think about things. And I think behind a lot of people's thinking and speculating about church, and particularly behind those comments that I heard, is this idea that the church is fundamentally a big machine. This kind of machine view of church, it's like a big religious machine, and it's supposed to produce or generate certain spiritual things. So it starts with the leader or the elders, the senior pastor, whoever, deciding what the goal is going to be for the, for the church. What do we want this machine to produce? Uh, certain attendance numbers, certain number of converts or baptisms or number of people in life groups or certain giving targets or certain numbers of people in the community served, whatever it is, these quantifiable, measurable outputs. And then we go about creating the machine, which is you. And we fit people into gaps and holes and we create ministry plans and strategic plans and models and maps and all of this stuff. And we basically create this infrastructure so that those outcomes will happen. It's all very mechanical and it's all very methodical. It's just input A, B, C and you're going to get output X, Y, Z. That's how it works. And the church just hums away like this machine, in theory. And some churches work really effectively as machines. But I think the problem with this whole view of reducing the church to a machine is it's so easy for God to be pushed out of the equation. Because we can come up with stuff that we think we should do or ought to do for God. And we can, you know, if, we, if the coffee's strong enough and we've got a big whiteboard, we can go crazy. We can do all kinds of strategic planning sessions and come up with great ideas and this is what we're going to do. And it so easily becomes humanistic. This is our thinking and our plans. And, our, and it may be biblical, it may be right, there may be good things, but it's basically us generating this idea. And then we sell it to you. You know, and then we market it in a sense, or we impose it on the church. This is the plan. This is what we're doing. This is what God's called us to do. And, uh, and we just create the machine around that. And the other thing that happens really quickly is that people in the church, I mean, if the church is a machine, what are you? Components, right? I mean, this is a very dehumanizing way of looking at the church. You effectively are reduced to parts of a machine, cogs in the machine, and you, your only purpose really is to just get fitted into the right place and do your thing so that the outputs get produced. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's not a good thing for people to be serving and using their gifts. Of course it is. We want that. That's what it means to be a church. But it's really easy, I think, for that to happen in a way that people get objectified. And, and, and we don't take account of people's stories and lives and the real human beings who really make up this community that's in front of us. So it becomes so easily a mechanical process, an informal, impersonal, human-driven process. I'm not saying it's always like that. I just think with a machine view, that's the temptation with churches and church leaders to run it all that way. And I tend to think what we need is a new picture of the church that's not like a machine. Because when you're in that metaphor, that's all you can think. We need a new image, a new picture of the church, and there's plenty you could reach for. In the Bible, you know, the church is described in images, isn't it? It's described as a body, a human body. It's described as a bride. It's described as a temple. It's described in all these ways. But I want to give you one this morning that's a bit different. It's not in the Bible. So you might find this a little bit heretical, but it's still a good one that's been on my mind a wee bit. I want to suggest the church is a little bit like a sailing boat. Now, don't flick through the New Testament and try and find that one. It's not there. 
But I think in some ways it is. Now, this is a stretch for me, this image, because I've only been sailing once in my life, and Anna spent most of that trip being seasick. So it took away from the experience a wee bit. I don't know much about sailing, but this has just been on my mind, the idea of the church being a bit like a sailing boat and a sailing crew. When a group of people decide to go sailing, they generally have a destination in mind, right? They know where they want to go, and, and so do we, broadly speaking, as a church. We have this purpose statement, loving God, loving each other, loving the world. Those are pretty broad containers for us to understand what it generally means to be a church. And that's steeped in Scripture. Those are the emphases that we see in the Bible of what a church is to do. Loving God, focusing on spiritual growth and worship, centering around Scripture as our authority, uh, loving each other through, through caring and serving and blessing each other, loving the world through mission and outreach and service into our community and beyond. These are, these are good things and these are biblical things. But they are broad and they're very general. And in a sense, those three things are the purpose of every church. Every church is called to do those things. That's what it means to be a church. It doesn't tell us what it means to be this church and what it specifically looks like here to love God and to love each other, and to love the world. What does that look like in our context for sure, Community Church? So this is where I think the sailing metaphor is really helpful. You think about a sailing crew. They may decide to go from A to B, but barely ever do they go in a straight line, right? I mean, you've seen those graphics on the uh, yachting races, America's Cup and so on, where you show the zigzag line of where the boat has actually been to this point. It's never a straight line. It's always tacking this way and tacking that way, jibing and raising different types of sails, and I had to look most of those terms up on Wikipedia, but just <laughs> figuring out where you're going to go, all depending on what? The wind, right? This, it's a huge variable with sailing. It's not, you can't just say we're going to go from here to there. You've, you're constantly reading the wind, the, 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 the speed of the wind, the direction of the wind, the intensity of the wind. That's the whole deal. And that's going to determine whether you tack this way or that and how you posture the boat in order to take advantage of the wind and, in a sense, submit to the wind so that it leads you where you need to go. I think that's really helpful in thinking about what it means to be a church. We can have direction and we can have vision and we can have an understanding of what it means to be a church. But listen to these words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 8. He said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's a lovely metaphor, isn't it? And Jesus says, in effect, everyone who is a Christian, who's a follower of Jesus, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word for Spirit in the Old Testament, Ruach, it's, it's the same word for breath or wind. Exactly the same word. It means breath, wind. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the breath of God, the wind of God blowing in your life all the time. The wind of the Spirit is constantly blowing. And that means in a group in a gathering like this, the wind of the Spirit is blowing because there's a whole lot of people who know Jesus and so the Spirit of God's at work. And the question then becomes, well, what's the wind of the Spirit doing? How's the wind blowing? Jesus is saying you can't always tell. You can't always tell exactly where it's coming from. You, you don't necessarily know exactly where it's going, where it's going to end up. The best you can do is try to discern what the wind is doing, how it's blowing, where it's blowing what's going on, and then try to position yourself to take full effect of it and receive it and submit to it and allow that to determine your course. 
So when you take that image of what it means to be a faith community, you start asking different questions, I think, to those that you'd ask in the machine view of a church. If you take the machine view, then the, the, the main questions are, what do we want to produce? What do we want to generate? What are the outcomes? If you take the sailing metaphor, the question is, which way is the wind blowing? What's the wind of the Spirit doing? And how can we position ourselves to surrender to what God's doing among us so that He leads us where He wants us to go? It's a totally different set of questions. Now, if the sailing image is a little bit of a stretch for you, uh, let me give you a biblical image here. Think about the Israelites' experience in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt and God's brought them through the Red Sea. He could have just said, this is the way to Canaan. Here's a roadmap. Here's Moses. He'll show you, he'll direct you, and you'll be there in 40 days. He didn't do that. What did he do? He said, here's a pillar of fire, and here's a cloud. You watch and see what I do. And, when, and he spends a lot of time, you read the book of Numbers, spends a lot of time explaining that when the pillar of fire and the cloud move, you move. And when the fire and the cloud stop, you stop, and you set up camp, and then God comes and dwells in the tabernacle. So you've got to watch, says God. You've got to learn to look at the fire and the cloud. You've got to learn to see what I'm doing. God didn't want his people just to race off and do what he had told them to do. He wanted them to learn to gauge what he was doing and read what he was doing and discern what he was doing and watch the pillar and the fire. You learn to watch that and move. And it was just important to stop as it was to go. Now, I know we're at a different point in the biblical story. We're not Israel in the wilderness. Jesus has come now. We're downstream in the biblical story, so to speak. But God is still at work, the same God. He's working by His Spirit within us. The wind of the Spirit's still blowing. And I think God still wants us to learn to read what He's doing, to learn to watch what He's up to, and learn to ask, what is the wind of the Spirit doing? So that when we see God working, we move with Him. And when we see Him stop, we stop. We hold back. I know that this can really easily sound very weird and mystical and strange, like we're all going to go and meditate and just sort of levitate and do weird, crazy, wacky things. It's not that at all. It's very simple and very straightforward. It's just asking a really simple question, which is, God, I feel, has pressed on my heart recently, which is, what is God doing among us? What is God doing? Let's start there. And then let's plans and strategies and vision and so on emerge from that. But what is God doing among us? And it comes down to what is God doing in your life? Because we're a collective of people. So it's not just a communal thing. It's what is God doing in your life right now? I was talking to a, a, an elder of a church in West Auckland the other day, and he said, every time someone asks me, what is the vision of your church? You know, you get that question. What is the vision of the church? He said, he always responds with another question. What's God doing in your life right now? Because what God's doing in your life is part of our vision. It's part of who we are. Your life is a microcosm of the whole church. There is not this vision that exists apart from this group of people in this room right now. We are the church, and our vision is to respond to what God is doing among us. So what's He doing in your life? How's the Spirit blowing? I mean, just actually think about that for a minute, not a hypothetical question. What, what, what is God doing in your life? Is there, is there a part of your character that He's putting His finger on right now? Is there a relationship that He's working through with you? 
Is there a period of pain and suffering that he's taking you through and struggle and teaching you what it means to trust him in the midst of that? I've had this on my mind as I've been talking with various ones of you and interacting and catching up. I've, I've, I've recently found myself constantly asking that question. What is God doing among our people? What's he doing in your life? How is God at work? I'll give you just a few observations that I've seen. And there's so many different things God's doing. It's hard to reduce it down to any one or two or three things. But just some patterns that I've observed. One is that I think God's setting people free from fear. It's, it's cropped up in several conversations. I didn't really expect it, but over the la- probably the last half of last year, in different ways, I think God is working to set people free from fear. Sometimes it's fear of Him. Sometimes it's fear of something people are going through, fear of what's going to happen next week or what's going to happen in the distant future. But I think God's dealing in the area of fear with some people. Now, we could say, well, that's nice and that's interesting, or we could say maybe that's a reflection of what God's doing among us. So maybe then the question for me becomes, is there something in my life that God wants to deal with around fear? Is there some kind of fear or anxiety I'm carrying? If this is part of what God's doing here, maybe there's an area of fear, fear of other people, fear of whatever, that God wanting to press on my heart, maybe. Another thing I see God doing among us in individual people's lives is generating a real deep hunger for spiritual growth. It's cropped up again in two different conversations this week. A genuine hunger and a thirst to go deeper. I see a dissatisfaction with a mediocre relationship with God. I see people who are just sick of kind of playing church and going around the traps as a Christian and just having a pretty average kind of spiritual experience. They're wanting to grow deeper and grow deeper in God's grace and go deeper in His Word. They're wanting to move on and they're not content anymore with the status quo. I see that happening. Again, the stories are different, the experiences are different, but I think there's, a, there's an emerging hunger and thirst for, for, the, for the fullness of life that God offers us. So if we're looking at how the wind of the Spirit's blowing, then we've got to ask ourselves, well, how do we position ourselves as a church to take advantage of the wind? There may be a need for teaching around that. There may be a need for a course or a, a conversation around what it means to grow spiritually or what it means to live with fear and work through fear. This is the sense that I have and the sense that I have of how to respond to what I see God doing among us because I see my role as trying to cultivate that, foster that, and respond to that as best I can with the elders and with the staff. But taking a cue all the time from what is God doing among us and how, how can we, in a sense, position the sailboat then to be responsive to how we see the wind of the Spirit blowing. And then ask yourself, as a group, what might God be doing? What might He be doing as a community? What's He doing in different ways? You, you, you're not going to have a whole sense of that, but you might have a part of the picture. You might have a, a sense of what He's doing in your family or in your life group or in a certain social circle you're part of. Again, a couple of observations. One thing that I see God doing at the moment at Shaw is forming community in some new ways. We've got all these life groups, and they work really well, and they're full of really good people, and they do studies, and they pray together, and they talk together. But now, all of a sudden, people are forming community and connecting in ways that aren't life groups. They don't look like, so we've got this plan, right? Now, we could say, well, this is the plan. What are you doing? Connecting in these ways that aren't part of our plan over here. You know? Now, you've got people cycling on a Saturday morning, of all things. You know, now, you've got people wanting to go do the Tongariro Crossing. Uh, we got together yesterday with people from Anna's coffee group that Anna's part of. Uh, husbands came along, kids came along, and, and it's not a life group, it's just a gathering of people. It's kind of this organic connection. 
But we could say, well, that's not part of the plan, therefore we're going to ignore it, or at worst we're going to try and get rid of it. Or we could say, maybe this is what God's doing among us. Maybe he's leading people to connect with other people in some new ways and some fresh ways, and maybe what we need to do is try and foster that and try to facilitate that. And like a good gardener, to try and look for the growth and cultivate it and tender it and nurture it. Maybe that's got to be our response. Maybe we've got to broaden out our definition of what a life group is so we allow people to connect in different ways. That could potentially even be a form of evangelism in the church. These different clusters and gatherings of people, it's an easy context to invite a non-Christian into. Maybe that becomes a pillar of outreach within the church. It's looking for what God's doing. Another thing I see God doing is leading people through times of real pain and suffering. There's always struggle in the church, but it does seem like at the moment it's particularly pronounced. And there's, there's a lot of people who are really battling, especially around physical issues, health issues. People struggling with cancer. People struggling with serious injury. Now, I'm not saying God's caused any of that, not at all. But I think he's working in it, and I think he's ministering to people in it. I think he's causing real spiritual growth in it. I think he's teaching others who maybe aren't going through difficult times what it means to care for people in the midst of that. And that's another thing I see him doing is, is, is prompting people to serve others in new ways. Not, not within formal ministry structures. It's not part of anyone's ministry area. It's not anyone's staff responsibility or elder oversight area. People are just doing it. They're not even having to be asked. People are just showing up. They're just doing what they can do. They're encouraging. This is just bubbling up from the cracks in the ground, so to speak. And it's good stuff. So what I sense God pressing on my heart is look for what I'm doing. Look for where I'm already at work. See, I'm, I'm finding even my prayers are starting to shift now. I'm not spending as much time anymore praying, God, please come and work. Please come and do this thing. Please come and move. I'm now praying, God, show me where you are working. Because I'm developing this conviction that God is working He's always at work among us, and what I want is the lens to see it. What I want is to be able to discern it better and then seek as best I can to help position the sailboat so that we receive as much of that wind of the Spirit as we can and God moves us forward onto His agenda and we move forward together. But that takes discernment and the eyes to see what God's up to. And I don't personally find that easy. This is a whole new journey that God's got me on. But I can't, I can't get away from this question. What is God doing among us? And you'll have other things. I'm not saying the list I've given is the sum total, and if you don't fit into one of those things, you're, you're not part of the crew. There's all kinds of things God's doing in our lives. But let's start there. Let's look for that. And then let's let the plans and the strategies emerge. Jesus said in John 5, The Son can do nothing on his own. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus was always responding. We think of Jesus going out there, he's teaching, he's healing, he's doing these miracles. But Jesus was always responsive to what he saw the Father doing. Jesus was always responding and he was able to gauge and see where's God at work and then respond, move in with that. Where's God at work? Let's join him. Where's the energy and the life and the breath of the Spirit? Let's join that. Let's cultivate it. Let's, let's see if we can give life to that. That's the whole ministry of Jesus worked like that. Now, we are the body of Christ. We are, in a sense, the incarnation of the Son, the hands and the feet of Jesus, now here on planet Earth. Shouldn't it be the same for us? We can do nothing by ourselves. All we can do is what we see the Father doing. So again, the question changes, doesn't it? Now the, the driver is, what do we see the Father doing? 
Not what are my great plans, my great strategies, my 10-point strategic plan, all points start with the same letter. That's not the point. Now the point is, what do we see the Father doing? What is the Father doing? So give me the eyes, Lord, to see it, and then the courage to respond to it. And we'll try and align resources with that, and we'll try and connect people with that. But we, all we want to know, Lord, is what, what you're doing. That's, that's how my prayer life is now taking shape. And I sense that's the focus God's wanting us to have as we move forward together. What is he doing? And let's start there. And what I love about that is it's not just me. It's not all on me and the staff and the elders. And I'm not just trying to abdicate my responsibility here, but I think this rests on all of us. And I encourage you to have these conversations around within your families, within life groups, serving teams, social circles, and so on. Ask that question this year. Sit around as a life group. What's God doing? What's he doing in our lives? Can we see patterns? What is he doing here? How is he connecting us to each other? How is loving God, loving each other, loving the world, taking on flesh and blood right here? And then honestly, feed those stories in. I'd love to hear them. Share them with a staff member or a leader so that we get a better picture of what God is doing and we can do our best to try and align resources with it. And that's going to mean individually there's some onus that rests on us. Now, can't all look to the leaders. What's the vision? You tell us and we'll just sort of be the foot soldiers. Now we've each got to take some responsibility for discerning and asking and following what God's doing. So can I encourage you to adopt one practice this year, one simple practice of taking time each day to listen to God. I'm not talking about weird mystical chanting. I'm talking about just taking time to be still in God's presence and listen. We are so good at talking at God, filling all the space with talking, being very uncomfortable with silence. But I sense God is saying, slow down and stop and be still and know that I'm God. Just take some time and enjoy his presence. Enjoy the presence of Jesus. And just pray the prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Just say that. And, and, and if nothing comes, fantastic. Fine. Doesn't matter. And some days God may place an impression on your heart. But you're putting yourself in a posture then of, of reading the wind. What's the wind doing? What's the, how is the wind of the Spirit blowing? Just slow down long enough in your... In your times with God, quiet time, whatever you call it. See if you can establish that daily rhythm as well as reading scripture and studying and that's good stuff and having worship times and praying for others, intercession, all of that is great. But take time just to stop. A few minutes, just stop. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in our church? Maybe write it down. Email it to me. Do what you've got to do. But take that time. I think you will find it takes you to a deeper place in your own walk with Christ and it will connect you, I hope, to more of what God is doing in this community as we get a collective sense of how God is working and what he's doing among us. So we're going to practice that now just for a couple of minutes before we close our service. Uh, there's, there's a little flyer on every chair, should be on every chair, maybe not some of you in the front row, but pass some forward if there's spares. And it's just got one sentence, one question. What is God doing in your life right now? So the band's just going to play quietly for a couple of minutes, and I want to ask you to reflect on that. And if you're willing, write it down. And here's, here's the process, just so it doesn't scare you at the start. If you are willing, I want to ask you to put them in a box on your way out. There's containers at both those doors to pop it in there, and they're going to come to me, only to me. I'm the only person who will see them, and then I will destroy them. You don't have to put your name on it. You don't have to go into any more detail than you want to. But all I'm asking for is for you to help me get a better sense of what God's doing. 
by reflecting on well, what's God doing in my life, what's God doing in my life, so that I can help to get a better snapshot. And so that you, by articulating it, maybe even get a better sense of what God's doing in your own life. If you don't know, if you don't have anything to write down, that's fine. Don't force it. Don't write something down for the sake of it. If you've got nothing to put down now, don't put anything down. It may come later on. Tuck it in your Bible, and, and you might find six months' time there's something to write down. That's fine. But if there's something that comes to mind, or something that comes to mind in the next couple of minutes, just in the quietness, write it down. If you want to take it away yourself, that's fine. But if you're willing, pop it in the box. And I would love to read it to help me discern what God's doing as part of our faith community. Because I think it's, it's not necessarily some big corporate project. It's the quiet work of the Spirit and the lives of people. That's where it starts. So let's take some time. Mark and the band are going to play quietly. And uh, let me pray to lead us into that time. Father, I, I'm aware that this is a new thing for, for some of us. And uh, it's easy to come to church, I suppose, and expect the plan to be rolled out and the vision to be cast and all of that. But God, I just have the sense today that you are asking us to reflect on what you're doing in our lives and to be more in a posture of listening than we are of verbalizing. So we do pray that prayer that Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Show us what you're doing in our lives. Show us what you're doing in our church. Show us how the wind of your spirit is blowing and give us the faith and the courage to respond to that as we journey together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455 Thank you for listening.